This morning's message is entitled, I am, I am, and I am. Now you'll notice that uh, the first two are capitalized and the last one is not. What I want to talk to you about this morning is who God is, who the Son is, and who we are. So that's why the first I am is for God the Father, the second I am is for God the Son, and the third I am is for us. Now you may be thinking, uh, didn't you forget somebody? <laughs> but the reason this is called I am, I am, I am is because the Holy Spirit never declared himself I am. And we're actually going to look in the places in Scripture where God said I am and I am so that we know what we can say about I am. The Holy Spirit never declared himself to be the I am. That does not mean he is not the great I am. In John chapter 16, this is Jesus speaking. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit always points us back to the great I am, Jesus Christ. Who always points us back to the great I am, God the Father. Who always pours out and speaks to us by his Spirit. Who points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who points us to the Father. Who pours out his Spirit. And so we have the Trinity in operation the Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself. He always is going to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and the finished work. So this morning we are going to look at the places in Scripture where God said, I am. I believe that if we do not understand who God really is and what he's really like, we will understand who we are. The truth is we live out of our identity. We live out of who we think we are who we believe we are. But if we don't really know who we are, we're going to live out of a lie. We're not going to experience all that God has for us, all that he's accomplished for us. We need to know just exactly who God is. Just like Dory was talking about their friend who has cancer. He's mad. Why? Because he doesn't know the Father. It matters what you don't know. It affects your life in a big way. One of the things that I observed raising my children when they got to be teenagers is I could always tell who they had been with when they came home. <laughs> because they came home acting like who they had been with. Teenagers are in that time of their life where they're trying to figure out, who am I? As Christian teens, often it is, is my faith my faith? Or is my faith my parents' faith? So I could always tell when my, especially my daughter came home and I'd say, stop that. That's not who you are. When she would get into trouble, I would tell her, this is not who you are. And you're going to stay home until you figure out exactly who you are. Because I already know. That's the thing about mothers, I'm assuming fathers too, is they know who their children are by their heart. <laughs> doesn't matter what I see you do I know who you are in your heart and if you're not acting in accordance with who I know you are you get to stay home and spend a lot of time with me and they would I would ground them for a week and that's about how long it would take before they would stop trying to put on 
somebody else's identity and just be who God created them to be. Believers do this. They don't know who they are. So they put on other people. They put on other identity. Some Christians say, oh, I have, a, I have an important job. They put on their identity. I'm important because I have a really fancy job. Or, I'm really important because I make a lot of money. Or, I'm really valuable because I wear name brand clothes. <laughs> we think we have to wear the latest fashions. Why? Because that's my identity. Unfortunately, it works in reverse, too. I bought it at Walmart. I'm nothing. <laughs> it works in reverse. I don't have much in my checkbook. I must not be valuable. I must not be important. We take the outside and we say, this is who I am. This is my reality. And it's not. It's not at all. But way too many believers fall into that trap because they don't know who they are. So what is exactly identity? I looked it up in the dictionary and it said this. It is who we are. I thought, well, that's no help at all. <laughs> it is the way we think about ourselves. It is the way we believe we are viewed by the world and its characteristics that we believe define us. Again, it's all about perception. It's all about perception. We have to know what we think about ourselves and why we think that about ourselves. Our identity is simply this, how we see ourselves. And we live according to how we see. If I believe I am nothing, I will make decisions in my life that will reflect that as a reality, even though that is not the truth. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Even if what he thinks is wrong, that's the reality he'll see in his life. That's why it's so important for us to know who we are. Dr. Miles Monroe, who's gone on to be with the Lord, used to explain the way a believer gets their identity by liking it to the way we as humans get our identity, or at least the way we're supposed to get our identity. In the natural, we get our identity from our father. It actually starts at conception. It is the father whose DNA determines whether you're male or female. In the best case scenario, the father will provide his child with his last name, thereby declaring to the world, this is my child. This child is part of my family. And as part of his family, he provides for all of their needs, giving them a sense of security. The most important way a father provides identity is by giving himself to his child. Spending time with them, playing with them, teaching them his values, teaching them to see themselves through their daddy's eyes. It is so important for a father to tell his children what is good about them, that they are smart or strong or beautiful or talented, that they are good, that they are valuable, that they are important, that they matter more than anything else ever could, that they are loved and accepted just the way they are, not because of anything that they have done or could ever do, but simply because they are his child. That is identity. And that is what we are supposed to get from our father. All of these things teach a child who they are. Now, moms are important too. Moms are part of the parenting process as well. 
But there's something that happens in natural development. When a child is born, he's mommy dependent, especially if she's nursing. <laughs> the child will spend most of his time in mommy's arms. But around age three or four, something starts to happen where the child suddenly is father-focused. Where little girls decide, I want to marry daddy when I grow up. Recently, one of my granddaughters told her mom that, I'm going to marry daddy when I grow up. She says, no, honey, you're not. <laughs> and when you get old, you won't want to. <laughs> but there's a truth in that. Whatever daddy is to her is what she's going to go looking for later. She will marry daddy. It'll be in a different package. That's why it's so important to know our father loves us. If a father fails to impart identity to his child, that child will search for identity somewhere else because identity gives them a sense of value. That's what we see in our society today. We see young people in particular trying to figure out who they are to find their identity, whether in a gang or as in wearing the latest fashion or as participating in something illicit. They're trying to gain value, recognition, and identity. They're trying to pull their identity from the outside and live according to the outside instead of the other way around. So that's why it's so important for us to know who our Father is. So, who is he? Who does God say he is? This morning we're going to look in Exodus chapter 3, where God says to Moses, I am. But before we get there, I want to show you a couple of verses in Genesis. It's about the prophecy concerning the deliverance of the Hebrew people. In Genesis 15, starting with verse 13, it says this. The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Now, from Abraham to Moses is about 400 and some years. <laughs> the people had been keeping track. <laughs> God told them, in about 400 years, you're going to be in a place where you're a slave, but don't worry, I'm going to judge that nation, and you're going to come out with everything you could ever dream or ask for. It's going to be good. <laughs> so they had been keeping track. Now, there had been no communication from God for about 200 years when Moses comes upon this bush. I'm sure most of you remember the story of Moses. Pharaoh began to get a little nervous about how populous the Hebrews had become, and he decided he was going to reduce the population, thereby reducing the possibility of an overthrow. And so he decided maybe boys should be killed. Well, that didn't work out so well for Pharaoh, that is, because Moses was kept in a basket, and one of the princesses of Pharaoh took Moses and adopted him and called him Moses, which means drawn from water. And then he grew up. And I love this about Moses, is he had an intuition, if you will, because they weren't spirit-filled people, but that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit wasn't communicating. Moses had an inkling he was supposed to be the deliverer of Israel. I mean, what a better place to be, right, in the palace? They're checking their watch. It's getting closer. It's been 400, almost 400 years. Any day now, here I am, God. He knew he was a Hebrew. He knew that. He's in the palace. 
God's certainly going to use me to deliver the Hebrews. I am ready for this. And then one day he goes out and he sees a Hebrew and an Egyptian having to fight. And he intervenes and he kills the Egyptian. Great deliverer Moses. Now he's a murderer. And now Pharaoh wants his head. So he runs to the desert of Midian. And there he finds <laughs> a bunch of women and sheep. <laughs> he sits down by a well, and the women have brought their sheep. They happen to be the daughters of the priest of Midian. And some other shepherds, who were male, tried to come in and shoo them off the property so that they could bring their flocks. But Moses steps in and comes to the rescue. He may not be a really good deliverer of Israel, but he can rescue a few women and their sheep. <laughs> what I saw in that was that he cannot get away from what he is called to. He cannot get away from what he's called to. He's called to be a deliverer. He stepped out a little too soon and tried to do it in his own strength. And that ended up badly. But then the very next thing he does, he's still being a deliverer. He can't get away from what God's called him to. So he ends up marrying one of these daughters of Midian, and he herds sheep and goats for about 40 years. Now there is no mouthpiece for the God of Israel at this point. The last mouthpiece they had was really Joseph. He was over them, not in a spiritual sense. It was more legal. He was at the right hand of Pharaoh taking care of them. So all they had was the oral tradition. They didn't have their Pentateuch yet. Moses is the one who writes that. So up until this point, there is no written record. But yet, they were so good at the oral traditions that they knew all of the stories, and they knew the time was right. Well, what do you think they were thinking around year 400? When Moses is out there herding sheep. God, you're late! <laughs> <laughs> but there's no mouthpiece. There's no one to tell them what's going on. So Moses is out there with his sheep one day, and he sees a burning bush. Burning bushes are not an exception. I don't know if you knew that. In that part of the country, they actually have bushes that emanate gases and oils. And if it's hot enough, they'll actually ignite. But then they will go up in flames. <laughs> so a burning bush wasn't a big deal. But a burning bush that wasn't destroyed in the process of burning? This was a tad unusual. It is the fact that it was not being consumed that grabbed his attention. And this is where we're going to go look, in, in chapter 3 of Exodus. I'm going to read it to you in the NOG version, which is the name of God version. And there's a reason. I want you to see the names of God. Why don't they ever tell you what God's name is? Mean. He has so many names in the Old Testament. Why do they use Lord and God all the time? Which is, paints no picture. I always thought, they should put the real name in there because that's how it's actually written. And they came out with a version that actually does that. And that's the NOG version. So, Moses was taking the sheep of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. As he led the sheep to the far side of the desert, he came to Horeb, the mountain of Elohim. Elohim is the name of God creator. If you look at the names that are used in Genesis, the whole first chapter it is in the beginning God, in the beginning Elohim. Elohim is a plural word. 
It actually means gods, plural. And that's what it means. This word isn't used only for the one true and living God. Throughout the Old Testament, it also refers to false gods because they were plural. What happens in chapter 2 of Genesis, though, is that God says, my name is Yahweh. When God created everything, he, he is referred to as Elohim, the creator. And then when it comes to making man, suddenly his name changes. Suddenly he goes from being called Elohim to being called Yahweh. It's called the Tetragrammaton. There are four letters. yud Hey vav Hey. Nobody knows how to say it for real. The Jews so honored and respected the name of God that they never said it. Now, the sweetest thing a person likes to hear is their name. So God told him his personal name, and they refused to ever say it because they didn't want to take his name in vain. And because they were so good at guarding his name, nobody now knows how to say it the right way. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> so scholars today are guessing, but they know this much, that Yahweh has those four letters, yud He vav He. And they fill in the vowels by taking the vowels from Adonai, which is master. When the Jews read their scripture, when they come to the word Elohim or the word Yahweh, they replace those words with God, Lord, Lord God. They lose the picture. Part of the whole problem that Jews had in the Old Testament is they didn't know their God. When you take away somebody's name, you take away the picture of who they are. If somebody says, Susan, I have a picture. I know a Susan. How about Dory? Instantly, you are associated with your name. Your name tells me who you are. And that was God's point. I want you to know who I am. Yes, I am Elohim. I am Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He didn't explain it back then. He says, I am a plurality, but I'm not multiple gods. I am one God, and my name is Yahweh. It wasn't Bob, Bill, and Larry. It was one name. <laughs> my name is Yahweh. When God made man, he got up close and personal. That's how his name is revealed in Scripture. I'm Yahweh. I'm up close, and I'm personal. So when Moses wrote this, he used both names, Elohim and Yahweh. Verse 2 says, the messenger of Yahweh. A normal translation usually says, the angel of the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the angel of the Lord. All caps refers to the name Yahweh. And in this particular case, the word angel actually just means messenger, a representation. It is a way of God saying, I'm making myself visible so you, you can kind of grasp maybe who I am. I'm making myself real to you. And so he chooses to make himself real to Moses through fire. So when it says the angel of the Lord, it's actually himself. It is Yahweh. It isn't an angel like we would think of with somebody with wings. This is the presence of Yahweh showing up in a way we could see him. And he says, the messenger of Yahweh appeared to him as flames of fire coming out of the bush. 
Moses looked, although the bush was on fire, it was not burning up. So he thought, why isn't this bush burning up? When Yahweh, personal name, saw that Moses had come over to see it, Elohim, the creator, the one who creates all things, Elohim called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses answered and said, here I am. You see the exclamation point? Now I want you to picture this. I think this is hysterical. Now I have seen the Ten Commandments and how it's all holy and sacred and really slow. But I'm sorry. If you're out in the middle of nowhere with sheep and there's this burning bush and you're creeping up on it because it's so peculiar and all of a sudden it starts talking to you, I would be scared out of my wits. I think Moses was too. <laughs> but he recognized the voice. <laughs> Elohim said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because the place where you are standing is holy ground. I am Elohim. I am Elohim of your ancestors. I am that creator God. And the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Personal name. Yahweh said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I know how much they're suffering. And I have come to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them to a good land with plenty of room for everyone. It is a land flowing with milk and honey where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites live. I have heard the cry of the people of Israel. I have seen how the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that I can bring my people out of Egypt. And Moses said to Elohim, what happened to the personal name? <laughs> he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring your people out of Israel? Because he didn't really know the personal God. Because it's also a whole lot easier to tell a God far away, you got the wrong person. <laughs> you obviously don't know who I, I tried that whole deliverance of Israel thing, didn't work out. <laughs> women and sheep, I'm good with. I'm, I'm staying here with the women and the sheep. <laughs> but it's because he did not know his God, and he didn't know who he was in the sight of his God. He didn't know who he was and what God could do through him. It is so very much like the word the Lord had for PJ this morning. If you know who you are in Christ, then whatever, whatever big and huge thing lays before you is not so big and not so huge. Because we know who we are in him. Elohim said, I will be with you. Elohim is the plurality. Creator God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Plurality said, I. He didn't say we. Again, all through the scripture, we see God trying to reveal to his people what he is. He is this plurality. He is the creator. He is almighty. He's all of these things. But he's also one God with three persons. And he's personal. He wants to be up close. And he says to him, I will be with you. And this will be the proof that I sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, all of you shall worship Elohim on this mountain. I always thought, so that's not much help, God. When I'm all done, that's the evidence you sent me? Shouldn't you give me a sign <laughs> that I have now <laughs> that you're with me? He said, no. 
the result is because I am with you, not because you're such a great deliverer. <laughs> so Elohim is plural, but it's used as a singular pronoun, I. At this point, we're going to look at the rest of this chapter, but we're going to look at it in the ESV because I want you to actually see the I am. Exodus 3.13 says this, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Because see, no one's heard from God in a really long time. And in Egypt, they have hundreds of gods. So if Moses comes and says, God said... How generic is that? Which God? <laughs> this is his complaint. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people, I am has sent me to you. In the Hebrew, it is not the four-letter word. It is Hebrew. It is I am that I am, which can be also translated, I will be what I will be. I will be what I will be. I am that I am. It can be translated all of these ways correctly. But what is God saying? He is saying, my personal name, my personal name, Yahweh. Throughout the Old Testament, he reveals new names to them, trying to reveal to his people who he is so they have a good picture of who he is. He says, I will be who I will be. I am that I am. I am self existent and I am real I am present now if you haven't heard from God in 200 years do you think maybe you might wonder if he's real if he's there <laughs> even though they've heard the stories it's 30 years past time when he should have showed up are you real are you there so he says to them go tell them I am I am present I am here I have heard I have seen, and I have come to rescue, and I'm sending you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, that would be Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the Elohim of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. He says his name is I am. But that is his name, Yahweh. That's what it means. Yahweh means I am. I am present. I am real. I'm available. I'm up close and personal. I am. I really am. Isn't that the first question somebody says? God, if you're real, this is his name. I am. I am real. I am involved. I do care. Verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, Yahweh, I am, my personal name, my personal presence. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, has appeared unto me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise. The Jews understood Yahweh was the covenant-keeping God, the God who keeps his promise. And right about now they're wondering, where is he? He's late. <laughs> I promise I will bring them up out of the affliction of, of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. We understand when we look back 
even though what happened in Egypt was real. What we see in this is the great deliverance God had planned for his people, not just physically. The New Covenant says we have a better, a better covenant, a better promise. It's not just physical. Does it include physical? Absolutely. But the spiritual implications of this deliverance, Pharaoh is a type of Satan. He has dominion over God's people, and he's not supposed to. He has taskmasters, making them do things they don't want to do, making them act outside of their identity because they don't know who they are. They don't know who their father is. And this is a picture of the deliverance that comes to Christians. God came in Jesus Christ to deliver us from the Pharaoh called Satan and to deliver us from the power of the taskmasters, sin, sickness, disease, poverty, lack, brokenness. He came to deliver us from all of that. And that's the picture that he paints here. This is all a foreshadowing of what he is going to do when he shows up and gets even more up close and personal in the person of his son. One of the things I wanted to share with you is just a little nugget I found along the way. Because I love seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. I love that. In Genesis 15, 1, it says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. The word, word. Many scholars think this should be capitalized. Because John, in chapter 1, says, In the beginning was the word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. How do you see a Word? And yet it says in this verse, the Lord, Yahweh, up close and personal God, came to Abraham in a vision. What was he seeing? Who was he seeing? He didn't know his name, so his name would be the Word. I love that. (laughs) That's the same chapter where the Word promises that in 400 years, I'm going to show up up close and personal again, and I'm going to deliver my people from all the power of the enemy. All throughout the Old Testament, God is revealing to mankind, I am. I am who I am. I am the God, the creator, but I'm up close and personal. When Adam fell, mankind's understanding was darkened, and our minds were blinded to the truth of who God is and who we are in him and to him. God has always wanted his children to know him and to trust him. And so he continued to reveal himself through the Old Testament through his names. Here are some of those names. Yahweh, Yira, is the actual way you would say it. I was taught years ago, Jehovah Jireh. When you take a word from one language and try to put it into another language (laughs) that doesn't have all the same sounds and syllables, you get what's called transliteration. It doesn't come out quite the same. Early English, the J sound was a Yah sound. Yehovah Yira. So, us Englishers <laughs> would say Jehovah Jireh, <laughs> when actually his name was Yahweh Yira, 
Yahweh Rapha, Yahweh Medkadesh, Yahweh Shalom, Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh Sikunu, Yahweh Rohi, Yahweh Shama, Yahweh Sabbath. And you see all through the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Judges, Psalms, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. He's all through the Old Testament. Here I am, up close and personal. It's me, it's me, it's me, it's I am. I am here, I am these things. I am, I will do, I have done. I am, see me for who I am. See me for who you are to me. See me. He doesn't use his Elohim name. His far away and all-powerful name. He uses his up close and personal name. Because more than anything, that's the desire of his heart, to be up close and personal with us. Yahweh is the self-existent one, the self-sustaining one who creates and is not himself in any way created. And since through the whole Old Testament they couldn't see him for who he was, he decided to get really up close and personal. And he wrapped himself in flesh and he became a man. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh. And he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as the Son of, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the face of God to mankind. Bill Johnson says this all the time, and I love it. Jesus is perfect theology. What is our Father like? He gave us all these wonderful names, but what is he like? If he showed up in person, what would he be like? If I could touch him, what would he be like? Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says this. Jesus, being the brightness of his glory, the Father's glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The brightness, Jesus is the brightness of the Father's glory, the express image of his nature and character. Did Jesus ever put cancer on anybody? Our Father would never put cancer on anybody. Jesus is here to show us what our Father is like. He says, I'm going to be so up close, so personal, you can see me and feel me and touch me. This is what I'm really like. I don't care about the rules. I care about you. Jesus is Yahweh wrapped in flesh. And he said so in John chapter 8. John 8, 58 says this. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones. Want to know why? Because they knew exactly what he was saying. Beginning in verse 53, it says this. This is the Jews speaking. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? That's a good question for us. Who do you make yourself out to be? Who are you? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. He saw it. When did he see it? 
when he showed up in chapter 15 and said, the word of the Lord came to me and I saw him in a vision. And the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I saved you before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say the word Yahweh, but they knew that's exactly what he meant. The I am back there is standing in front of you, wrapped in human flesh. The God who is there is the God who is here. And the God who is, who is here is going to do the same thing that God did back then. He's going to bring deliverance to the people of God. They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And that's because of Leviticus 24:16, which says this. Whoever blasphemes the name of Yahweh shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, they shall be put to death. Jesus was saying, I am the great I am. All of those names that you saw, Yehovah, Yira, he was saying, I am the Lord who provides. I am the Lord who heals. I am the Lord who sanctifies. I am the Lord our peace. I am the creator of all things. I am the righteousness of God. I am the shepherd who leads you. I am the Lord who is real and exists and is involved and wants to be up close and personal in every area of our lives. Jesus said, I want to be up close and personal. I don't want to just be here outwardly. I want to be here inwardly. The Holy Spirit is equal to Yahweh, to Jesus, to the great I am. Second Corinthians 3.17 says this, now the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord. They didn't capitalize it in the New Testament. But they understood exactly what he was saying. Yahweh is the Spirit. And where Yahweh is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, it's him. There's freedom. The great I am who brought the Hebrews out of Egypt, out of slavery, is the same Yahweh who came to bring us freedom through his spirit. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, Yahweh, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Now to, for him to accomplish this, so that he could be as up close and as personal as he could ever get, he had to bring that deliverance. He had to take us out of Egypt, sin, he had to deliver us from the Pharaoh that kept us bound. And in order to do that, he had to lay down his life and bear the penalty of our sins. Jesus, being found in the appearance of a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Our Father made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the very righteousness of God in him. Jesus himself said, It is, it is, it is finished. He bore all of our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Through him, Father God has reconciled all things back to himself, having made peace through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And by his wounds, we have been healed. Because of what Christ has done, because the great I am said, being far away is not good enough for me. 
and it's not good enough for you. I'm going to come down and want to be a man, and I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm going to show you what I'm like, and then I'm going to go one step farther, and I'm going to come and live inside of you by my spirit, and I want you to be able to say who you are. I want you to know your father's heart. I want you to know what I've done for you. I want you to know that you too can say I am. Not I am God, but that I am God's child. I am one with Christ. I am redeemed from the hand of the enemy. I am forgiven. I am saved by grace through faith. I am justified, declared innocent in full compliance with the law. I am sanctified by his spirit. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. I am a partaker of his divine nature. I have been changed. I have been changed. I have been changed. I am new. I am new. I am new. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I am delivered from every power of darkness. I am led by the Spirit. I am free from all bondage. I am kept in safety wherever I go. I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I am an heir of God and joint heir with Jesus Christ. I am observing and doing all that the Lord wants me to do. I am blessed coming in and I'm blessed going out and I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places and I am healed by the stripes of the Lord Jesus Christ and I am an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony and because that is true, I can say I am! I am! I am redeemed! I am made new! I am lives in me! My Father loves me! My Father has rescued me! And I can declare, I am! If you do not know who you are, you won't say those things. That's why it's so important for us to be in his word and to see him. See him when he shows up in the Old Testament. See him when he shows up in the spirit. See him so that we can say, I am my father's child. I am dearly loved. Our Father has given us our identity. He has given us his DNA by being born in us. He has given us his name and his authority. He has given us his values and his time. And more than anything else, he has given us himself in death and in life. He is our identity. He is our Father. He is our beloved Savior. He is our life and life more abundantly because we are his child and his heir. And because of that, we can say, Amen. I am. Amen.